Are you longing for real life change and lasting impact? And more to be, we believe that is possible through a fresh encounter with God and His Word. I'm Lisa Pulliam, the founder of More to Be and host of the More to Be podcast. And I'm here to help you think biblically and live transformed, to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in His work every day. I'm so excited about today's episode. We are joined with my friend and special guest, Jennifer Dukes Lee. And we're going to be talking about what it looks like to let go of control. Not only is that part of the title of her latest book, It's All Under Control, uh, but it fits in perfectly with our raw scripture study theme for the month. And so as this airs, it will be September, and our topic for the raw scripture study is yielding our desires. So for those of you who are new to the More To Be podcast and what we're doing uh, in the More To Be community, the raw scripture study stands for R is for read, A is apply, and W is right, and we look at a series of scripture verses each month, kind of digging in deep, what does God say about this verse, and how can we live it out? So you would be able to find us in the More To Be tribe on Facebook, and details for the raw scripture study at moretobe.com. Definitely would love to have you there, a part of that. So in yielding our desires to the Lord, we're going to be talking with Jennifer about this journey of letting go, hanging on, and finding the peace you almost forgot was possible. And if that sounds good to you, it's because it's the subtitle on her book. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for being here with us today. This is fun. I love being on your podcast again. I know. And, and I love having you here again. I knew when we recorded last time we had to do this again because we had such a great conversation. So. Bring us up to speed on what's been happening in your life over the last six months since we last chatted, which we talked about the happiness dare last time, and that was pretty insightful. So this is part two, almost, of your writing journey, or is it part three? It's three. part three. Right. Yes. So give us the overview. Well, yeah, the first book was Love Idol in 2014, and then 2016 was The Happiness Dare. And I think when we talked last, I'm betting I was in the manuscript formation, maybe the editing. Uh, this book comes out, well, right now. <laughs> this book yes. is coming out right now. And for the first time ever, I got to write a Bible study. Oh. With so I've got a book and a Bible study. It's a six-week journey through that, this whole thing, the, it's mm -hmm. a companion piece to the, to the book. And, um, the Bible study, I thoroughly enjoyed writing. And it reminds me of what you said about that raw, you know, your raw scripture group. Um, that's really what I felt like a personal journey, a raw journey of going through, um, the Bible and reading and rereading, verses that I had known and been familiar with since a child. But sometimes when you can come back, when you come back to certain scriptures and look at them in light of what's happening in your life today, or mm -hmm. in light of what does, what, what is this passage? What is this passage saying about surrendering my desires? What does this passage say about control? It comes to light in a whole new way. It, it amazes mm -hmm. me the depth of scripture so I want to applaud all of you ladies that are going through that process because you're uncovering something that's sitting underneath just waiting to be mm. 
plumbed, right? Like plumbing yeah. the scripture in a new way. That was really, really exciting for me. I was kind of, I was pretty nervous about writing a Bible study um, because I've I've only written news stories and books in the past. Yeah, right. Your background's journalism. Yeah, I have a a, a, um, journalism background. But I kind of applied those same techniques in my career as a news journalist to the Bible study. Mm. And just find, you know, just coming to these, this explore, having this exploration and reaching these conclusions and imagining a woman months later going through the scriptures in the same way and knowing what she was about ready to discover was Mm -hmm. super exciting for me. So I loved writing the Bible study and I have always felt strongly that a video component is so important to Bible study for people who are visual learners. Um, But I've always been frustrated by how expensive a lot of those DVD series are. So on my own, I created videos to go with each of the six weeks, and they are free. Yay! That's awesome. Yeah, they're on my website, and they are beautiful. I wanted something that I wanted them to be short, just a Mm -hmm. quick lesson um, for people that just maybe felt busy, Mm -hmm. um, really wanted something meaty. So I, we just have a quick lesson, and um, one of the things I really love about it is all of the footage was shot on our farm and in the surrounding community. So it's got a very cinematic quality. It's really, uh, yeah. Yes. You'll meet the neighbor's sheep. You will meet um, our cornfields. You'll meet our cats. <laughs> that is fun. Yeah, it's, it was really neat. So I, as excited as I am about the book, I'm equally as excited about the Bible study, which is a companion piece. Good, good. So are you hoping that women will do it individually or do you want them to gather together in groups to do the Bible study? What's your vision for that? They can do whatever. I mean, the way that it's set up, you could do the the Bible study all alone. And I know that women are already starting to do that. Um, but there were, there are also groups that are um, assembling already this fall, groups of, you know, five and 10 and 20 yeah. and going through the the Bible study, and I know that some are waiting to do it in the for their spring or their winter yeah. sessions. So um, it's you know kind of one of those timeless things that, and you can do it alone and and see how how you think it works for you, and and see if it's something that maybe you know your book club or your Bible study might like to do together. I think it's it's really fresh, fun content. That's great. Well. You said the keywords fresh and fun because I, I hold in my hands a copy, an advanced copy of your book. And if you have not read Jennifer's writing, she's hysterical. Okay. And so I just want to give them a taste of hystericalness that cuts right to the chase. Oh, okay. And we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to share different parts of the book that really stood out to me. And we're going to dive into, uh, just so everybody knows, we're doing our typical, we're going to go into scripture, we're going to unpack it. But I just want to give you all a laugh because I, well, my husband says I'm getting funnier as I get older, but I'm not really a funny person. Like, I, I can crack a joke, but I'm more serious than funny. However, you, my girl, are funny. And you write about mammograms. And what was hysterical about it is that I'm flipping through the book and I'm looking and, you know, I confess I should have read this months and months ago when you first got it to me, but I, I'm opening up to chapter three minutes after I'm trying to get my script for my callback on my mammogram 
And if anybody had followed what was going on with me on Unblinded Faith, when that launched, I had a mammogram scare. And so my whole launch team of Unblinded Faith knew exactly what was going on. So six months later, and here's what I read. The mammogram room, the one place on earth where I feel utterly out of control and well exposed. If you haven't had one yet, don't worry. It's not so bad. So it's good because we have listeners of all ages and there are many that have not had their mammograms yet. So this is good education for them. Definitely scientific education, Jennifer. It's about as pleasant as you would imagine. For the uninitiated, try this to get a similar effect. <laughs> I know I'm laughing at a time. Okay. Strip down in the kitchen, open the refrigerator door, insert one breast, allow a strange woman to slam door on it, hold your breath, die a little inside, switch sides, and repeat. <laughs> it's true. It's perfectly that is a perfect illustration. And now all the women who are listening are saying, I cannot believe she just read that on her podcast. Yeah, take me so seriously when I start teaching the scriptures. I know, I know. So there's the funny side of us. Okay, so then you share. I got to keep going here. I got my yearly mammogram last month, and as usual, a familiar fidgety anxiety rose up in me. It's not the procedure itself that bothers me the most. It's the callback. Every year... A nurse recommends I return to the office for follow-up testing because my, and I'm going to let them figure out the rest about your breast tissue as they read the book. But what I thought was so interesting was that you went from like ordinary laughter to what as so many of us have experienced, sudden panic. Like, what about that callback? It's the what if. What if I don't know what's going to happen? So is that kind of the heart of your like letting go of control and your struggle with control is the not knowing what's going to happen? I mean, what, what's your root? Yeah, there's, there's several different roots of that. But for me, that's definitely one of them because I'm a planner. Um, Mm -hmm. And you know, that saying, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) And so I have always been a planner kind of person. Um, I don't just have short-term plans for what's happening next week, but I have long-term plans for what's going to happen well down the road um, years and years later. It's so funny when I look back on my sixth grade, um, I wrote an autobiography. It was a requirement in sixth grade English or something. But I had my life all planned out, literally like how many kids I was going to have, Mm. twins, one boy, one girl. I would be a writer, which I think is so interesting, and a psychologist, and I would die at age 98. Like plan it out to the T. Wow. You know, I, in some, in some cases, that level of planning has made me, um, a highly capable, highly efficient, high achieving person that you can count on to get things done. If I tell you I'm going to do something, it's as good as done. But on the flip side, if my plans unravel, if things don't turn out the way that I thought they would, I'm a wreck. Mm -hmm. And that is one of several impetuses. Is that the right word? Or is it impeti? Is it impetuses? I have no idea. <laughs> that was an impetus. We'll say that. <laughs> this book um, on control. Um, another, so that's one, one reason that people control is because they want to, they want to have their plans and feel secure in them. And quite honestly, some people, including me, have trusted their own selves more than God. We yes. say we trust God. And it was a shock to me 
in my own life to turn around and discover that I really didn't. Mm -hmm. What would happen if I opened uh, my hands up, Mm -hmm. these hands that are clinging so tightly to my preferences, so tightly to my plans? What happens if I let go and and I can't boss God around about what I want to happen with my plans anymore? So that's very difficult for a type A kind of planner person. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that happens is um, that a lot of this is, is... driven by the fact that we really deeply love the people in our lives. And Mm -hmm. so we're doing all that we can to serve them. We're doing all that we can to protect them, to shield our kids from pain, to make sure that that we're responsible and at the PTA meeting and taking on uh, the VBS program because nobody else will do it Mm -hmm. at church. And so we just continue to pile more and more and more because we love our people. We love our family. We love Jesus. And so we're constantly in this position of saying yes to so many things. And we're the kind of women who say, Hey, I got it. That's fine. No, no problem. It's all under control. It's all Mm -hmm. under control. It's just fine. But when you lay your head down on the pillow at night, you're like, it's so not, it's so not, you know, I just remember thinking like sometimes in my twenties, like I was on my game, man, you know, I could just get after stuff and just feel like a million bucks at the end of a day. Mm -hmm. And I know that as number one, as I get older, my body just can't do what my ambition wants. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, we're just not made to be that driven. Like, constantly reaching Mm -hmm. the next benchmark. Like we make life about metrics. Everything's Mm -hmm. about the metrics. Everything's about the number at the, the the percentage number at the top of a college exam, the number on the scale, the number on the paycheck. It's it's hard and it keeps us driving and making plans because there is such a high value placed on the metrics. Um, But through this, you know, many years before I even wrote this book, that's the main thing that God's been teaching me in my life is letting go of those plans and letting go of, of control and surrendering to his will and trusting that he really does have the best in mind for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think too, as, as you get, as I'm getting older and I'm, I'm just in my mid forties, but as I've gotten older, you have the benefit of hindsight to see and say, thank you, Lord, for not letting me have my way. Yeah. Like all of the plans that I have made in my life now at this age, I can honestly say that would have been a disaster. Yep. So I think hindsight and living that out gave me the experience and a bit more authority to write this book yet, yet, even Mm. as I sit here today, even as I'm in the midst of launching this book, um, I am having to relearn lessons all the time. And I always think, you know what, these women reading this book would never trust somebody who hasn't had to live it themselves. Yeah. Um, so I'm living and reliving this me- message all the time. Um, not yeah. only in my publishing life, but as a parent, as a daughter of two parents who I love dearly, but as, as parents get older, they have more mm-hmm. and more issues that, that they need their kids help with, which I'm glad to help out with. Wouldn't want it any other way, but man, there's just so many things out of control in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that you hit on a lot of really good points that I'm in the middle of because I'm in that middle age category too, but my kids are a little bit older than yours. So I have one that's in her second, technically third year of college. I have a second who we just had her college meeting yesterday morning, 
where we're looking at her standardized test scores, we're looking at her GPA number, we're looking at the cost of you know tuition for college and the acceptance rates. It was all numbers, all metrics. And I don't think like there's not an off ramp for metrics. Like you're you're groomed on the on ramp of metrics because you have to hit these bars in order for the doors of opportunities essentially to open for you. And it, it grooms you into thinking that it's all your responsibility. Mm-hmm. If I do really well on my grades, if I fill out my applications, if I have the right reference letters, then I will get what I want. And, you know, we have seen teenagers all the time who should have gone into school X and they didn't and all the metrics lined up and that's because God wanted them at school, you know, Z, whatever it was. And so I wonder if the forties is like your off ramp season. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Because it's, it's been in the last three to four years, I'll be 45. Well, this week when this podcast comes out, so we have to do a big birthday celebration, but I feel like I'm learning how to come to terms with the answer no. And not only me being able to say, no, I can't, but also hearing God say, no, you won't. Mm, Yes. (laughs) And I, in the last year of experiences that you and I were chatting before we got on air and I talked about how I had a really passionate book proposal rejected a year ago. And that no wrecked me for 30 days. I mean, I was fit to be tied. And yet now, a year later, that no was the best thing that ever happened. Right. And, and so I think the more you come to terms with God's no and learn how to say no, the more you end up inherently trusting God. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I go back and I um, look at my prayer journal um, and, I, and I'll, I'll go back and look like 10 years ago. Right. And it's so interesting to me to see um, the prayers that were answered um, mm-hmm. along, in alignment with my plans or in alignment with, uh, you know, a woman who I was praying for a broken marriage or those kinds of things. You can see see that happening. But um the thing that shocked me were all the things I prayed for that thank God never happened. Yep. That, you know, I can pray passionately for something and be so upset for those 30 days or, or, you know, a whole year and feel like, how could you, God, how could you? And to be able to look at it sometimes in hindsight and see the reasons why, you know, for many of us, for many of, of the, the people that are listening right now, you, we may have to wait all the way until heaven to know the whole picture, which yeah. is really hard because there are so many like great unknowns and why, why mm-hmm. that still exists for so many of us. But I do trust that in time it will make sense, but that we might have to wait all the way to heaven to know. Yeah had that hard conversation with my daughter last night. Um, this summer, uh, a boy from our church was uh, killed in a horrific car accident. And Leah's at school with some of his friends. Um, and so it's still pressing on. And there happened to also be a student from that university that she's at who was in a horrific car accident a year ago and survived. And so what they're struggling with now is understanding God's will. 
Why, why is one gone and one is still here? And like you're saying, and, and Leah, Leah said these words to me. She goes, Mom, we don't have to like it. And we may not know the answers until we see Jesus face to face. And that's, that's the reality in which we have to live in without sugarcoating it. And I was like, praise the Lord, you're realizing this at 19. Because sometimes it takes a lifetime to come to terms with that. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I mean, that's a very heavy issue, but I do think when it it comes to these issues of learning how to trust God and not be in control, it's the it's the daily practice in the small that prepares us for the the demand in the big. Mm, that's so good. Right. Right. That's so true. And I, I think you have touched upon in your book through looking at the Johns as as you had. <laughs> expressed to me this morning, um, two really powerful examples of how to change our posture before God. And so we're going to look at John the Baptist, but before we go there, well, you, you choose before we go there. Do you want to talk about, uh, John, the, the one whom Jesus loved first? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I'm sure you and your your listeners have repeatedly seen John characterize himself in um, the Gospels as this, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I have to be honest, when I used, when I read that, I used to think that is so arrogant. Like, yes. who do you, think you are, John? Do you see yourself like as Jesus' favorite or what, what's the scoop here? But um, somewhere along the line, I realized that I was wrong about that. John was simply stating clearly that he knew he was God's beloved. Mm. So when he picked words to describe himself, John chose words revealing his core identity. Jesus was the defining relationship in John's life. And so that's why he describes himself as a person loved by the Savior. And we're always going to surrender our lives to whoever the defining love and influence is in our life. Now, Mm. Say that again. Say that again. I don't want anybody to miss that. (laughs) We will always surrender our lives to whatever the defining love or influence is in our life. So I am the disciple whom blank loves. I am the disciple whom my boss loves. I am the disciple whom my husband loves. I am the disciple whom my friends love, my kids love. And that's good to be loved and appreciated by all of those people. But what is the defining love and influence in your life? And for, for John, Jesus was the defining relationship in his life. I think that what happens with hardworking, God-fearing Christian women is we, we flip it around this way. Instead of describing ourselves as the disciple whom Jesus loves, mm-hmm. we describe ourselves like me centric. I am the disciple who loves Jesus. Right. You give an example in scripture on that one. Yeah. So like Peter. Yes. Yes. Very much that way. And I love Peter. He's so impulsive and his, he's always doing these very dramatic things to d- demonstrate that. Like, 
I'm going to pull out this sword and show you how much I love you, Jesus. I'm going to jump out of this boat to prove how much I love you, Jesus. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to leave, you know, I've left everything to follow you. Like again and again through scripture, if you go through it in, in mm-hmm. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Peter was, was always like, look at me, look at me loving you, God. I love you so much, you know? And it's, there's something really cool about it. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. mean to like throw Peter under the bus, but I think that there's a mental shift that happens when we focus primarily on Jesus' love for us mm-hmm. instead of on our love for Jesus, right? Because there's the shift of like proving, like, are we trying to prove our love and our, our worth and our value to Jesus? Or are we taking in the love that he already has on us? And I think we're, yeah. we're approving kind of a society. We're always trying to prove to the boss, prove to the stockholders, prove to the other moms at the classroom party. I mean, we even try to prove to Jesus and mm-hmm. John saying, I am the disciple whom Jesus loves just puts a lot of that at rest. And so I've been trying to, if every, like if every relationship, if our relationship to Jesus is the defining relationship, then every other decision in our lives, big decisions, little decisions, big plans, little plans, all of them pass through that filter. Yeah. So instead of saying yes to people to prove our love and devotion to them, instead of saying yes to prove our love to Jesus, look how hard I'm going to work for you. We're allowed to experience the freedom of saying no mm-hmm. based on the fact that we have nothing to prove. I think you're hitting on idolatry, to, mm-hmm. which you already wrote about, but that do we love anyone or anything more than God is an idol. And I think it's just a beautiful way that you're describing it. Who am I a disciple to is another way of thinking about kind of that idolatry. And and what is really interesting to me, I looked at the scriptures this morning of um, where John refers to himself as the one loved by Jesus. And what was so funny to me was that in John 13, 23 and John 21, 20, it's referencing the same scene and it's Peter talking about it. So in, in John 21, 20, uh, Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, mm-hmm. the one who leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked, what about him, Lord? So, you know, John's writing this book, so he, ref- he has given himself that Jesus loved label. Uh, but Peter is watching what's happening between Jesus and John. And then recounting what happened between Jesus and John. And I thought, okay, so here's the challenge. Are we going to be Peters watching what's happening between Jesus and everybody else? Or are we going to be John's thoroughly engaged in what Jesus is doing in our life, completely focused on him rather than consumed with what he's doing with everybody else? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Right. Yeah. You really so we sit next to Jesus, you know, like John sits next to Jesus because he's so secure in right. who his identity is. He doesn't have to be on the far end of the table. He doesn't have to be across the room. He doesn't have to be hiding from Jesus. He's like, let me see how close to you I can get Right. And for no other reason than I belong to you Yeah. and not like, what can I get from you or how can I prove to you? how good I am, how, what do I need to earn this spot next to you? Just like confidently 
sitting at the feet of Jesus and mm-hmm. saying, I belong here because yeah. you love me and I believe it enough that I'm going to sit as close to you as possible, no matter what. Like, this is this like kind of is a mind blowing thing for me. But when I really began to study those scriptures, the disciple who Jesus loved, there was such a cool surprise in the original Greek. And I actually took it to my pastor and I took it to the Bible editors at Tyndale. I'm like, look at this. Is, am I right? Is this right? Yeah. But here it is. Because I don't, I mean, I'm not like, you know, like this big theological scholar. So I, I took it to them. I'm like, is this right? I think in the original Greek, what it's literally rendered as that you could actually translate this as the disciple whom Jesus keeps on loving. Mm. Not just the disciple whom Jesus loves. It's original, and, and it's true. And so it's, it's all checked out. So you don't have to trust the girl who like is telling you how to what the mammogram is like. You can trust like people who are actually <laughs> me that the verses can be translated as disciple whom Jesus kept on loving or keeps on loving, which I think is so cool because His love for us isn't conditional. Mm-hmm. Like when no matter if we if if we overcommit, if we underdeliver, if we say yes, if we say no, if we get it all right, if we get it all wrong, if we sin, if we don't, mm-hmm. we are the ones who Jesus keeps on loving. Yeah. And that can be our core identity because then it's never it's never in question. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. mean we have to come back to that that fork in the road every day wondering, am I still the disciple whom Jesus loves? Yes. Mm-hmm. Get on over there, sit right next to him. You are still the disciple whom Jesus keeps on loving. So interesting. It's so interesting to me because you know, I'm a life coach and you know, I teach the coach training class. So session one is what is coaching about? Session two is how do you coach like techniques? Session three through sessions eight are all topic based. First session, yeah, that, that session three is on identity. And the whole session is, who do you say you are? Who does God say he is? Who are you in light of who God says he is? And so I've been teaching the same identity stuff year after year for the last seven years. And I'm like, Lord, is this because I'm never going to get it? Or like, But it keeps on going down to a deeper, deeper level. So when you see yourself through who God says you are, then how you live completely changes, changes every action, every action. You don't need to be in control because you know the one who is. And Mm -hmm. if God is in control, you can go left or right, and he's still either going to redeem. You might have a consequence that he redeems, or you might have an experience in which you are under the blessing of. But either way, God is still God, and he is still loving us regardless of that decision we make. And so then take some pressure off of what decision should I make? Right. Yeah. Right. That, that, that primary, it's great that you do that first because the first decision always has to be, what is your primary identity? Yeah. Our calendar is not our primary identity. Our caregiving is not our primary no. identity, our productivity, none of that. Um, and so the, one of the questions that I ask, um, a question that I ask women to ask themselves in this is, what are the things that if they were taken away would shatter the identity you yes. have created for yourself? Yes. And so like if I, so for me, because I love writing and I love ministry so much, like would I be shattered if I suddenly lost my ability to write or speak? 
-hmm. Would I be shattered if I was no longer able to, to run at the high capacity that, that I run at now? Like, what are the things that if they were taken away would shatter the identity I, I have created? And hopefully, you know, we can all get to that point where it's like the only thing that could ever be taken away that would shatter my, my identity is Jesus. And then, of course, the answer is, well, that's the one thing that is never going to go away. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting because in that, in that session on identity that we teach, the first thing we look at is role identities the people and the tasks that we are responsible for. And the illustration I give every time since we moved, which is now we're going on to our fourth year since we had left the boarding school. At the boarding school, my identity was I mentored teenage girls. I was the highest paid volunteer and I, and I was Stephen's wife and I was the mentor of girls. And so if a girl was in crisis, they were sent to me, and that's how we did it. So then we move. Now I'm in suburbia. The only girls I have are my own. I'm not involved in a youth group, and I have a ministry that was completely devoted to mentoring teenage girls. You're talking about an identity crisis? Huge. Huge. And, it, and what I did was a mistake in that first year. I didn't recognize it, even though I had been teaching this again and again. I didn't see it manifesting. I, you know, I ended up barking up some trees and coming up with my own plans of what I would do now <laughs> instead of acknowledging that I lost my identity and grieving that loss and saying, oh, my word, I didn't even know it all it was all tied up in there. God, I had no idea that this was giving me a sense of worth and significance and, and value. I didn't know, God. It took me two years to say, forgive me, Lord, and then it took me sitting in the middle of the things that I had created in an identity search when I should have been doing with Black Abyss as an experiencing God, praying, Lord, what, where is your work that I may join you in it? Yes. I got ahead of his work, and, and I conceived of this is what he must want me to do now instead of kind of scaling back and, and watching and then saying, okay, this is what I'm to do now. Mm-hmm. So it's good. It's really like I just I, I'm thrilled with your book because I feel like for those women who aren't thinking about becoming life coaches and aren't going to be exposed to this curriculum, uh, you are putting into the hands such solid theology and principles that can be life changing for those who are struggling to figure out who am I and why am I here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and so let's look at. Um, Let's flip to chapter one of John, because you have another example of a different John, which <laughs> I think paves the way for us so beautifully. Uh, so I'm going to pick up at um, verse, where is it? I'm going to pick up at verse uh, 19 in John, and we've actually, on the podcast, we have read and taught through uh, the first chapter of first of the, the first part of the first chapter in the book of John. So I'll have to post a link to that so people can get the whole the whole thing together. But we're picking up at the testimony of John the Baptist in verse 19. And do you want to set this up first or you want me to read? Um Yeah, I think I think that what what you can what we can all listen for. Yeah. Um is thinking about that 
John the Baptist here, he's doing a lot of things here, but one of the key things that I'm finding, especially through this lens of control, is he's showing us what it looks like to let God be God. Yes, so yes. John the Baptist was the one appointed by God as a messenger to announce the arrival of Jesus. And so a lot of people are going to, you know, they'll start asking him here as you go through this that, you know, who is this guy? Okay. And so he tells everybody who he was by first telling them who he wasn't. And so just listen for this. And then, you know, if you've ever tried to, you know, be CEO of your own life, maybe this will be a, a new mantra to adopt. Yes. That's what we're going to get to. I love that. Yes. Okay. So verse 19 says, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well, then, who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, If you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I am not even worthy to be slave and untie the straps of his sandals. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. In light of what you have written in this book, it's just profound. Yeah, the this little line in John one twenty. Yep. I am not the Messiah. Like in the eighty four edition of the the NIV, which is still the study Bible I use. Good for <laughs> you. Reads, I am not the Christ, and and that is such a great mantra for all of us to repeat. Like. I want that to be true in my life. Like I want my recovering control freak to just bow down on those words mm-hmm. that I Christ be Christ. I am not the Christ. I, I am not the you. Christ. And so when we stop trying to be like Jesus or stop trying to be Jesus, the astonishing result I think is that we actually become more like him. We yes. become more Christ-like when we actually stop trying to be him. Um, we, we hear him more clearly. We gain a better vision of the direction that he has for us. We make better decisions. We hold our, our plans a little bit more loosely when we live under this um, mantra of, I am not the Christ. So when I get to uh, my high levels of control freakery, that is a phrase that I often repeat to myself, Jennifer, you are not the Christ. Jennifer, God is not taking applications for his position. No. <laughs> he can handle this. Yes. Yes. Stop treating God like an employee and let him like run your life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. And I know those are expressions you used in the book. And I, 
I highlighted them and underlined them and laughed out loud thinking, <laughs> absolutely. And, and yet here's where I think um, sometimes women will stumble. Stumble is, okay, I'm not the Christ, but what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Right? And I see in John the Baptist's example of what to do, that he, he was shouting in the wilderness, like, Jesus is over here, people, like pointing to Jesus, being that message bearer of Jesus. And, and um, there's this word that really stood out to me that I loved. This encounter took place in Bethany, areas east of the Jordan River. So the word encounter, I mean, I'm constantly talking about my desires for women to have a fresh encounter with God and his word. And I find, I find myself now thinking, yes, I want women to have a fresh encounter with God and his word, but how am I hindering the people I'm doing life with from having a fresh encounter with God because they're encountering me? Mm. That is so good. Yeah, uncomfortably so. You yeah. know, <laughs> like, I, I, are they encountering my flesh? Are they encountering my issues and my junk? And, you know, not to go back to coaching again, but I'm going to because in the coaching model, the first part of the whole process is, is awareness. Like, where am I? How did I get here? What led up to today? Where, where do I want to go? It's like, it, I think of it as taking inventory. Uh, and I, you know, I, one of my first jobs was as a supermarket, you know, sales clerk. And I used to love when we took inventory of what was on the shelves. Like, I just like knowing where all the parts were. And I think that we need to have like a, a monthly day set aside for like inventory our sin and our spiritual health and our emotional junk. Because I, I think it's a slow creep like weeds in my garden right now. Like I can go out one day and there's nothing and then it looks good and looks good. And then all of a sudden it's like, where did these all come from? Yes. And if I was daily out there checking and pulling the little weeds, it would stay at bay. But you, you, turn, you turn aside and you don't look and then you end up with an overwhelming mess. And I, I think that if we, I mean, obviously we can do this in our quiet time, but I almost feel like convicted that I'm going to, I'm going to just turn to my calendar when we get off and block off an hour once a month and just call it inventory time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one of the first steps I have uh, women do in this book. Oh. They have to make a, yeah, and and the copy that you have does not have that in there. Oh, There's how interesting! Worksheets and exercises that help women take basically all the weeds out <laughs> and all uh, the flowers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Garden, right, and they have to look at it all and figure out what am I carrying that I was intended to carry, and what am I? What do I need to get rid of that's mm -hmm. that's just not supposed to be here anymore? And some of those things, I mean, I make them look at everything, like everything that's on their to-do list, everything that's on their schedule, but also other things like um, personal struggle, struggles, um, coping mm -hmm. mechanisms that they employ, you know, like I cope through exercise or food or addictive substances or whatever. Like they have to write it all down and figure out, um, based on those verses in Hebrews 12, one, let us strip off every yes. weight that slows us down 
especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So they do a complete inventory. Look, we're just going to lay it all down and figure out what we can, what we're supposed to pick up so we can mm-hmm. run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Mm. It's a great exercise, but it's really like, it's a, it can be very intensive. Yes, yes. I'll just skip that section of the book, but I hope that they'll do it. I know. I, well, I found with, with Meet the New You, I kept on getting feedback that, well, I, I, I was great through day five. Day five is the awareness day. <laughs> it's, it's that inventory. What, what has your life been like up until this point? And people just don't want to go there. So mm-hmm. what's a word? Um, give a promise, if you can, or a hope kernel. Sometimes is what I like to call it. Of If you do this, then you will Mm-hmm. for that exercise. I think, I think they will eventually find that peace that they almost forgot was possible. Mm. And I call it the peace they almost forgot was possible because we've been running at this pace and uh, under these conditions for so long that we forgot what mm-hmm. it feels like to truly mm-hmm. be free. Um, mm-hmm. We're living kind of not fully delivered. And yeah. um, I think that when you go through that kind of analysis, when we start to ask ourselves questions about identity, when we really analyze all the things that we're carrying, whether it's obligations or bad habits, I mean, like the whole thing, then we can figure out what our race, we don't have all the noise. We don't have all the noise so we can really hear God um, and figure out what, it's, it's just hard to hear the voice of God. I like, I've never heard him audibly anyway. But I can't even hear him speaking into my heart when I've got when I'm carrying around so much junk. Mm-mm. And so I, the only way to true peace is to go through the hard work of figuring out who do who do I say that I am and who does Jesus say that I am, and um, to pick up and and run the race that we were supposed to run. That's great, and that's a great commissioning. I think at the at the end of our conversation here is to say. Okay, we're looking at letting go of control, which really in the in the summary of it is choosing to allow God to take over control. Mm-hmm. Right. And Absolutely. It, it's not it's not just walking out a door and closing one. It's it's choosing to walk into a new kind of room yeah. and a new yeah. kind of space to exist. And that running the race there. Mm hmm shows that it's like okay on the next leg what are you gonna do well jennifer i'm so glad that you were with us today i'm so grateful for your book and the way it's going to bless lives and how much it ties into what we do at more to be in terms of helping women think biblically and live transformed you definitely put it into this book in a way that brings laughter to the soul at the same time of conviction and i love that combination so would you mind closing us in a word of prayer today? Mm-hmm. Well, dear Lord, hi, you are the Christ. I am not, <laughs> but I am deeply loved by the Christ. I am deeply loved by you, Lord Jesus. We are the disciples whom you love. We are the disciples whom you keep on loving. Draw us closer into your presence. Help us not be fearful to get as close to you as we possibly can. We know that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. Help us to hold our plans loosely. You can never put into our hands anything when our fists are closed. 
tightly around everything that we wish and want. We know your ways are perfect. And your, your plans are far better than our own. And so make us brave to stand up and take hold of that in our lives in whatever way that looks like. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jennifer, I am so glad that you were with us today. And as a reminder to our listeners, uh, they can definitely head over to the moretobe.com slash podcast. So uh, tell everybody again where they can find you online. You can find me online at jenniferdukeslee.com. And my book page is it's all under control book.com. And there's a really fun emphasis on fun, not scientifically proven, a fun quiz you can take to figure out what your control character is. Lovely. I love it that you do that. That's always great. (laughs) Well, thank you everyone for listening to the More to Be podcast. We are praying you've experienced a fresh encounter with God and his word during your time with us today. If you'd like to show your support for the ministry of More to Be and our podcast, we'd love for you to become a More to Be tribe member. You'll get access to a library of life application studies and worksheets, audio recordings, and video teachings with exclusive resources added each month. To learn more, visit moretobe.com slash podcast for a special link just for our listeners. May you continue to think biblically and live transformed to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in his work every day.